Welcome to this podcast from Wilkesboro Baptist Church, where we are on a mission to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus. We'll be in uh, Jeremiah chapter 18 in just a moment. Uh, I had quite a few classes in seminary and in college that I enjoyed. Some I didn't enjoy as much as others. Uh, But in college, uh, I think one of my favorite classes in undergraduate was Art Appreciation. The teacher just did a fantastic job tracing out how the history of art and the shifts within art coincided within the shifts uh, regarding philosophy, history, uh, and the events that were going on in the world. And one of the projects that he assigned to us in art appreciation class was the challenge of actually taking some clay and molding it into something useful. So, as a college student... I had something like this. I had a, uh, a, a pile of clay. I don't know if it's called a pile of clay. I'm out of touch with what it's called, but I had some clay. And uh, our teacher asked us, our professor asked us to take that and make something useful out of it. So I thought, what could be more useful than a coffee cup? Because for me, that's fantastic. And my wife likes coffee too. And so I decided I would make a coffee cup for my wife. So I molded it, and I shaped it, and I had this little arm on it so that it could be used, this little handle, and I actually took some paint, and I painted a little love message on the side of that coffee cup, and I left it with the professor to put in the kiln and fire it. When I got back to that particular class, I looked at that coffee cup, and I thought, I can't give that to my wife. That looks so horrible. It's so horrible that I don't have it to this day. I don't know what I did with it. I probably threw it away a long, long time ago. I never gave it to my wife because you couldn't even read the note in it, the message on it. And it was so small, it would hold about three ounces of coffee, which for any of you who knows, three ounces is not near enough coffee. The reason I tell that story is because we're looking at a subject, a passage of Scripture, where God sent Jeremiah to see a visual illustration that he was going to use in a sermon that he was going to preach to God's people. He went to the potter's house, the potter's place. We're going to look in just a few moments, three truths that come from the potter's place and how that applies to our lives out of Jeremiah chapter 18. If you will, read with me this wonderful text. We'll read through about verse 17. So the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Arise and go down to the potter's house. And there I I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand. And he reworked it into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to do. And the word of the Lord came to me. House of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter is done, declares the Lord? Behold, like clay in the potter's hand... So are you in my hand, O house of Israel, if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down to destroy it. And if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. And if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it, and if it does evil in my side, not listening to my voice, notice that phrase, not listening to my voice, Then I will relent of the good that I had intended to do to it. Now therefore say to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Thus says the Lord, 
Behold, I am shaping disaster against you and devising a plan against you. Return every one from his evil way and amend your ways and your deeds. But they say, that is in vain. We will follow our own plans. And will everyone act according to the stubbornness of his evil heart? Therefore, thus says the Lord, ask among the nations who has heard of the like of this. The virgin Israel has done a very horrible thing. Does the snow of Lebanon leave the crags of Syria? Do the mountain waters run dry, the cold flowing streams? But my people have forgotten me. They make offerings to false gods. They make them stumble in their ways in the ancient roads and to walk into the side roads, not the highway, making their land a horror, a thing to be hissed at forever. Everyone who passes by it is horrified and shakes his head. Like the east wind, I will scatter them before the enemy. I will show them my back, not my face, in the day of their calamity. Let me uh, set the stage for just a minute while we're moving to Jeremiah chapter 18. The book of Jeremiah is sort of in chronological order. What I mean by that is there are definitely sections of Jeremiah's book that are written in a narrative fashion that kind of leads you to one step or one sermon or one activity after another. We'll see some of that later on in the book. But most of Jeremiah is compiled in a topical manner. It's put together with specific sermons for specific reasons. And one of the reasons we're looking at Jeremiah chapter 18 this week is because last week we looked at his complaints and his weeping and his sadness. And really a theme that comes very close to that is the theme of God's sovereignty. One of the things we have to remember is that no matter what goes on in the world around us and no matter what we experience in our own personal lives, God is in control. He's on His throne. And Jeremiah chapter 18 teaches us this principle. It offers for us some truths that will help us reconcile the situation we see in the world with who we are as followers of Jesus. It's a message first preached to the people of Israel, and God sent Jeremiah down to the potter's house to see a potter make something out of clay. So here's truth number one. Truth number one is this. The Lord has the right to do with us as He pleases. We need to grasp this. If you'll notice that in the story, God made explicitly clear to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, look at the potter. He had a piece of clay in his hand. And he started to make something out of the clay. And what he made out of the clay, he wasn't happy with. It was almost spoiled. It was ruined. It wasn't worth using. So what did the potter do? The potter picked that piece of clay back up, put some more water on it, put it back on the wheel, and remade it into something else. And if he had been unhappy with what he remade it into, he could have put some more water on it, put it back on the wheel, and remade it into something else. I think that was part of my problem with that coffee mug I tried to make. It was my first and only and last attempt ever making something with clay. I'm not an expert at it. I can't make things beautifully. But the potter in Jeremiah's day reworked the clay till he found something that he was happy with. Listen, what God is telling Jeremiah and what God was telling the people of Israel is this. The Lord has the right to do with us as He pleases. A few months back, we worked through a sermon series entitled, Welcome to the Story. And we invited you on a journey with us, looking at different stories throughout the Old and New Testament. It's a wonderful series of sermons. I really enjoyed studying for that and preaching through that. 
And one of the things that I thought was so important that, we, that, that was made clear, not only in that series, but also in this text, is we have such a tendency as humans when we open up God's Word and look at the stories of Scripture to read ourselves into the characters and read ourselves into the situations in which uh, we, we find ourselves find in the pages of Scripture. And our tendency in doing that is we overemphasize sometimes the role of the individuals in the Bible story, and we often, almost all of the time in our own spiritual lives, overemphasize our role in our Christian experience. We overemphasize our effort, our good deeds, our works, our abilities, our decisions, our choices, our blessings, our benefits, and we sometimes, if not all the time, make ourselves the heroes of our own personal narrative. And the Bible is expressly against that. Over and over and over again, the Bible tells us and affirms for us consistently that we are not sovereign. We're not omniscient, omnipresent, or omnipotent. We don't know all, we're not everywhere, and we're not all-powerful. There's only one who is, and His name is God. His name is Yahweh. His name is Jesus Christ. He is sovereign. He can do with us whatever He chooses to do with us. Our responsibility is not to work against Him, but to submit to Him and bow before His right to rule over us. One of the greatest problems with the people of Israel, people of Judah rather, that Jeremiah was preaching to, and one of our greatest problems here in 21st century America is that we overestimate our role in the world. We overestimate our role in our own lives. And we underestimate the intervention of God in the world. God's sovereignty is a preeminent, if not the preeminent, doctrine of Scripture. God is the one who rules and He reigns. And we like to say that when it comes to pandemics. And we like to say that when it comes to the world stage. But not often do we see how that applies or let that work into our everyday lives where we acknowledge that God is the one who sits on a throne, who rules and who reigns. And folks, whatever's happened in your life, whatever is going on in your life, either God did it or God allowed it. The Lord is sovereign. And we don't have a right to look back at God and say, God, you messed up. You did something wrong. You, 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 we don't have a right to do that. Why? Because He is the potter. We are not the potter. We're not the one in the story that that gets to remake our events and our situations. The Lord is the one that gets to do with us exactly as He pleases. John Calvin put it this way. He said, Until men are brought to know that that they are subject to God's power and that their condition can in a single moment be changed... According to His will, they will never be humble as they ought to be. That's exactly right. Folks, one of the things that you and I need to reconcile with, that we need to reflect on, that we need to acknowledge, is that the Lord has the right to do with you and me exactly as He wants, whenever He wants, however He wants, and trust that He knows best and that He's in control. That leads us to the second truth, Second truth is that we should be humble and pliable in the Lord's hands. One obvious implication of this text is that the clay that the potter was reworking was clay that could be reworked. 
In other words, it was in this condition. It was in a condition that could be molded. It was a condition that could be spun. It was a condition that could be put on the wheel. It was a condition that could be remade. It was in that condition. And so the potter reworked it to make it fit. But all too often what we find in ourselves is that we are stubborn and hard-hearted and we're at a place where we're not allowing God to do His work in our lives. We find ourselves more in this category of being made. We're, we're kind of hardened. Now this is not completely fired and we'll come back to this in a moment. But this particular picture that I did not make... Uh, someone else made this one. Um, it is not in a place that can be remade. It's useful, but it's not able to be molded and shaped. And what happened with the people of Israel is that over and over again, they had the opportunity to bow before the sovereign rule of God, and they didn't. They weren't pliable in His hands. They didn't allow Him to rework them into the image that He desired. And why not? Well, there are four specific reasons, going back into chapter 17 as well as in chapter 18. There are four specific ways that we keep God from doing what He wants in our lives. And not as if we're in control, but where what we do inhibits God to make out of us what He desires. In chapter 17, verse 5, the Lord writes, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes his flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. So God says, and this is a similar sermon or a connected sermon that Jeremiah is preaching in chapter 17 and chapter 18. The Lord says this, If you trust in man, then you're going to get yourself in trouble. You need to trust in me. One of the ways that we keep ourselves from being reshaped under the hand of God is that we trust in other people. We trust in man. In the particular implication here, that God's speaking to Israel as a nation, Judah as a nation. He's talking to their leaders, and their leaders had a bad habit of going to other countries to try to make things better. They tried to get alliances or make alliances with other nations so that they would be safe and protected. They were trusting in man. And God says very clearly in chapter 17, 5, Cursed is the one who trusts in man. In other words, when we decide we're going to put our hope more in a politician or a party than we put in the king who rules and reigns, we are trusting in man. When we decide that we're going to put our hope more in what the stock markets are doing than what God can do in protecting us, we have a tendency to be trusting in man. When we say we're going to put more effort into our work or our bosses or our experiences, and I'm not saying those things are bad, but when we trust in those things and fail to trust in God, what are we doing? We're trusting in the wrong things. And folks... If we're not careful, what we're going to find as we look back at, at our own lives and situations, we're going to find that we're trusting in others. We're trusting in things we can't control. We're trusting in circumstances and not trusting in God who is in control. One of the reasons we need to learn that lesson that the Lord can do with us exactly as He wants is because that gives us motivation to trust in Him Alone. Uh, let me give you another way that we mess up and don't let God shape us. Not just when we trust in others, but how about this? Some of you may say, well, Pastor, I, I don't trust in other people. Because I know other people are going to fail me. I know if, if I put my hope in a political party, they're just going to disappoint me. If I put my hope in another person, they're just going to bother me. They're just going to mess up. They're going to fail 
So I just trust myself. Only person I can rely on is me. God had a word for that too, chapter 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The Lord says don't trust in self. Not only are we not to trust in others, trust in man, trust in a king, trust in a president, trust in a party, but we're not to trust in each other, excuse me, in our own hearts. Jeremiah said something that is fascinating in this verse. He said, the heart is deceitful. It is sick. It is wicked from the inside out. I'm going to ask you just a rhetorical question. You don't have to answer it, and I'm not asking you to raise your hand either. Just think on this. How many times have you fooled yourself and made a mistake? How many times have the emotions of your heart led you into a path of folly? How many times has your own wisdom led you into a foolish decision? Just by implication or just by rhetorical questions, we all have found ourselves in folly and in foolishness because we've trusted in our own hearts. And when we put our trust in ourselves, the Lord says that our hearts are deceitful. Very deceitful. Notice the way he describes it again. The heart is deceitful above all things and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? This is a statement of total depravity. Total depravity gets a bad rap or it's misunderstood. It doesn't mean that all of us are as bad as we possibly could be. It simply means that all of us are completely bad. Meaning there's no part of us as a human being that's not tainted by the sinfulness that derives from our human hearts. Every part of me, my mind, my eyes, my hands, my feet, where I walk, my desires, and my heart is tainted by the sin nature that came from my parents that goes all the way back to Adam and Eve in the garden. Same thing is true of you. It means that we are desperate, desperately sick in our sin and we're easily deceived by our own ways. What's the challenge for that? What's the, what's the, 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 how do we respond to that? Well, the only way we respond to that is by turning to the Lord Himself. Trusting in God alone, not in our own hearts and our own wisdom. What's another way that we fail to be pliable and, and bow in humility before the Lord's hand? Here's another one. When we ignore God's Word. In chapter 18, verse 10, notice what God says. When people ignore my voice, when they don't listen to what I say... I'm going to tell you, the people of Israel, and by the way, this message is particularly a message to a nation. We're going to apply it to our lives individually, and that is appropriate. But in the context of what Jeremiah is doing here, he's not just talking about you and me listening to God's voice. He's talking to the nation about them and their failure to listen to God's voice. And that's exactly what the people of Israel done. They had the law, and they rejected the law. They had prophets, and they didn't want to hear the prophets. They had the priests, and they didn't want to have anything to do with biblical God-honoring sacrifices. They wanted to do their own things their own way. And so what did they do? They ignored God's voice. They didn't listen to what He had said. He gave them opportunity after opportunity to hear and listen, and yet they rejected Him. Folks, when we have clear teaching from God's Word and places in Scripture that are absolute, unerring, and not difficult to apply, and we ignore it, then we're guilty of not listening to the voice of the Lord. Let me give you one 
quick illustration, and then we'll connect it to our nation. Just uh, earlier in this service, Eddie read from Psalm 150 that talked about praising the Lord over and over and over again. Realize that's a clear command from God that we're to praise Him. If you don't praise Him, you're not listening to His voice. Make sense? He's given us clear instruction. We're to put it into practice. We are seeing this in our nation. And one of the reasons why this message ought to break our hearts and bring us back before God in humility and repentance is because consistently as a nation, the United States of America is not listening to the voice of God. In a few weeks, we're actually going to unpack how some of the religious leaders, the other prophets, the false prophets in Jeremiah's day, were leading the nation astray. And we're seeing that in our country too. But but here's what I mean by this. In our post-Christian world, in America, what God calls adultery, we call an affair. What God calls murder, we call the right to choice. What God calls pornography, we call art. What God calls rebellion, we call expressing ourselves. What God calls child pornography, we call a documentary. What God says is against nature, we say is finding ourselves. And what God calls true, we call false. Over and over again, and that's just a small sample of all the ways in our country, or many of the ways in our country, that what God says, this is the way you go, this is right, this is wrong, this is true, this is false, this is the path you take, this is the path you don't take. What we are doing in our nation is taking the exact opposite approach. We're rejecting everything that God says is right, true, holy, and good and saying, no, not only are we not going to go that way because we don't like the God of the Bible who tells us what to do, we're not only going to say that that's not the way we're going to take, we're going to say that that way is absolutely wrong and our way is the only way that's good and that's right. And that's what we're seeing in our nation. And it should drive us to a place of humility and repentance and a prayer seeking of spiritual awakening. And we'll talk about why in just a moment. Here's another way that we don't make ourselves pliable and humble when we worship idols. In a few weeks, and we won't unpack this completely tonight. In fact, we're just going to gloss at verse 15 of chapter 18. My people have forgotten me. They make offerings to false gods. They make them stumble in their ways, in the ancient roads, and to walk in the side roads, not the highway. Basically, one of the things that the people of Israel were doing, they were choosing other gods for themselves rather than the one true God. We've hinted at that and talked about that in bits and pieces. In a few weeks, we're going to open up a sermon that's going to deal specifically with the idolatry of the people of Israel and then how you and I find ourselves at different times giving in to idolatrous behavior and worshiping and putting something on a pedestal other than God. So truth number two is this. We should be humble and pliable in the Lord's hands, but where do we find ourselves? We find ourselves... Stubborn and hard-hearted and rebellious and often rejecting exactly what God tells us to do. And where does that leave us? This is the third truth. If we remain stubborn and hard, hard in our hearts, we will be shattered by God's judgment. We're not going to read all of verse, or chapter 19, but they connect. Chapter 19, God sent Jeremiah to preach another visual sermon. He said, Jeremiah, what I want you to do is I want you to get a clay flask. Very similar to what we have here. It's not exact, but similar to what we have here. And I want you to take this clay flask, and I want you to walk down to the potsherd gate. That's the gate, actually, that's outside, just outside of Jerusalem, that would lead into the Valley of Hinnom. 
Valley of Hinnom is the valley we talked about a couple of weeks ago. The place where refuse was burned. The place where child sacrifices took place. But at that potsherd gate, what would happen is the people of Israel, when, when they had a clay pot or when they had a, uh, a, a broken uh, plate or a broken cup that they used. Maybe they had a lot of people like me back in the day that were very clumsy and that dropped things, and they would break things. They would take them outside the potsherd gate, and they would just throw them down. And so it was kind of full of some uh, the, of the evidence of broken items. So what God said to Jeremiah is, He said, Jeremiah, I want you to take this flask with you to the potsherd gate, and I want you to tell the people of Israel that here's what they've done. They've heard me speak and they've rejected me. They have hardened their hearts and they have been stubborn and they have been rebellious and they have decided they're not going to follow after me. And so when you preach that sermon to them, look at this in verse 10 of chapter 19. Then you shall break the flask in the sight of the men who go with you and shall say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, so I will break this people and this city as one breaks a potter's vessel, so that it can never be mended. Men shall bury in Topheth, because there will be no other place to bury. won't continue to read it, but God gives them a statement of clarity about what's going to happen. Here's the reality. If we do not bow before God in humility and surrender, God will shatter us in permanent judgment. That was a message for the people of Judah. Do you know what happened? Jeremiah stood before them time after time after time and preached to them and begged of them that they would repent and turn back to God. You know what they did? They hardened their hearts. They willfully engaged in their stubborn, sinful behavior. You know what God did? God sent the Babylonian army and He shattered the people of Judah. And you know what happens when you shatter a jar like this? Flask like this, a pitcher? You can't repair it. Can't be made whole again. I'm not going to do that in this sermon. This is not my picture. So I'm not going to follow through with Jeremiah's illustration to that extent. But do you know what happens if I were to break it? There's no hope to repair it. There's nothing that can be done. There's nothing that can be fixed. Here's the warning. If we continue to go in our own ways... Individually, personally, spiritually, nationally, we can expect that God will shatter us. Where does that leave us? Let me give you three responses to this sermon this morning. The first is this, be humble and repent. I I, I can't be responsible for everybody and everything and everything they've done and every sin that's going on in the world. I think we do own some responsibility for our own sins. I think we own responsibility for national sins. But I'll tell you this, we as followers of Jesus, we have an opportunity to hear a message like this, and what do we do? We need to be humble and repent. We do. You need to look in your own heart. You need to look in your own lives. You need to see if there are flaws and failures. Is there a way that God's saying clearly, this is what I want you to do, and we're not doing that? A humble and repentant heart that keeps us in that place of pliability and humility where God can make out of us what He wants. You and I have that obligation and responsibility. Whether our nation hears this or not, you and I as followers of Jesus must remain humble and repent. Let me give you a second application or response. We are entering into a time of political turmoil. You don't have to pay much attention to the news. 
or to anything to know that we've got an election coming up in a few days. Let me give you a word of advice. Do not place your hope in party or politician. One of the reminders that Jeremiah gives us here is that we can't put our trust in people. It's far too easy, even for us as followers of Jesus, to get caught up in the political debates of our, of our day and assume that if our party gets elected, or if our president gets elected, or if this happens on the Supreme Court, or if that happens, or if this law is changed, or if that law is changed, oh my goodness, our nation is going to be in a better place. Should some of those things happen? Maybe. But I'm going to tell you this, and what we need to be reminded of, the hope of our country does not rest in a politician. And it does not rest in a party. And it does not rest in a law or a Supreme Court decision. The hope of our nation rests in a place of humility and repentance before a holy God. Because unless our hearts change about those other things that we're calling sinful, or we're calling good that God calls sinful, then it doesn't matter who gets elected or who doesn't get elected, or what happens or what doesn't happen, we can still expect judgment to come. So don't place your hope in party or politician. Thirdly, that leaves us here, pray for revival. Pray for awakening. Pray for God to move in our midst. A few months back, we preached a sermon out of 2 Chronicles 7.14. We talked about praying for revival. We emphasized that in our congregation. Many of you took a day or you fasted or you prayed for revival. I'm going to ask you not to stop. The only hope that we can have that we won't be a part of the judgment that God's going to bring our way, shattering judgment, is if God brings a revival and an awakening to our hearts as His people and to this land. Otherwise, no matter what happens politically, we can expect judgment. Why is that? Because, folks, as a country, we have ignored God's voice. Too often, we'll see this in the weeks to come, as Christians, we've ignored God's voice. So what do we need to do? We need to bow before Him in humility and in confession and in surrender. So here's the invitation. Just a moment, you're going to have a chance to pray. I would like you to search your hearts. Is there any area where you as an individual, as a follower of Jesus, have not listened to the voice of God? Will you open yourselves up and be pliable in His hands? Be humble, repent, confess anything in your life that's in the way of you being right with God. And then, will you pray for revival? Maybe you want to come forward at this invitation and bow before God and ask Him to intervene in the life of a family member or a friend or the life of our country. Pray that God will send awakening and revival. That's where our hope lies. lies because God alone can do with us as He chooses. I ask you to stand with me, if you will. Sing and worship as we close out our invitation. It's a song that's beautiful, Change My Heart, O God. It fits this sermon perfectly. It's a reminder to bow before Him and surrender to Him. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do come to You in this moment. We ask that You change our hearts. There's a place, Lord God, where we're ignoring Your voice. There's a place, Lord God, where we're calling something good that You call sinful. There's a place, Lord God, where we are failing to obey you. Will you show us that? And will you bring us to a place where we bow before you in humility and in repentance? Lord, we recognize our hope does not rest in a politician or a party, but our hope rests in the King of kings 
and the Lord of Lords. The one who's in control, the one who's on a throne, the one who rules and reigns, the one who can do with us as he pleases. And the one who one day will bring judgment upon the nations of the world, including our nation, for wickedness and depravity and sin. Father, it's in that vein that we pray. We pray for awakening. Lord, I pray that your people in this country would bow before you in humility and repentance and would seek your face in revival. Heavenly Father, I pray that those in our nation that are rejecting you, that have turned away from you, that don't want to listen to your word, I pray that you will awaken their hearts and draw them to an eternal relationship with the living Lord. I pray, God, that you'd bring them to salvation. Pray, God, that you would move in our midst and bring us to a place, Father, where we will beg you to change us and redeem and forgive and bring salvation. And Lord God, the disaster and the divide and the the anger and the vitriol that is so prevalent in our nation, it won't be solved by elections. It won't be solved by political decisions. Lord, you're the only one who can heal that. And you can heal that through a spiritual change of heart. Lord God, I pray that would take place here among your people at this church. And I pray that it would spread to people in our community and across our state and across our nation. Bring us to a place where we will bow before you and seek you. Seek you and you alone. Trust in you. Trust in you alone. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Remember to like and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.